Hey folks, we're back here, uh, joined by Representative, newly elected Representative Zach Fields. Hey Jeff. Hello Zach, I love the bolo tie. Thanks. You're like uh, Don Young, kind of. I love Don Young. Maybe just in that regard. <laughs> um, happy to be here. Uh, we're on the first floor. This is this is one of my, um, I like the fourth floor. That's the, kind of the action floor. First floor is a little more t- tempered. Do you like it down here? We have great neighbors. Laddie Shaw, Matt Clayman, Josh Revac. That's right, yeah, and you guys have... You don't exactly have a view like the top top floors, but you do have some houses that really directly. <laughs> do people ever wave to you like from their houses? They stand on the porch and peer through the window and wave at me. I'm not sure if that's a good thing. Could be good, could be bad. Um, well, I'm happy to be here. We um, actually met in the summer. We the landmine. We did a profile of your primary. I think it was probably decisive. I feel like I don't want to you know brag here or toot my own horn, but beep beep. I think we might have, you know, put you over the edge. It was either that or endorsed by Lesker. It's hard to say. So, you, were you at Skits? You weren't there, were you? I was not. Yeah, I, yeah, you can't talk about Skits, but this case, I think it's okay. The the whole, throughout the whole, even sure you heard this, I know you did. Throughout the whole Skits, every time there was a break, there'd be <laughs> pictures of you and, like, your face on, like, a bro at the pool or your face on, like, somebody with a endorsed by Lesker sticker. I'm glad it's going global. It was it was very funny. So, let's let's go back to the campaign. So you you had filed kind of at a time where Lescara was unsure if he was going to run. He was kind of leaning towards not running, but he hadn't really made up his mind yet. Is that right? Yeah, he he had filed a long time ago, and so he was thinking about not running. Put out a Facebook post about it, and I and I filed it in case he decided not to run. And then it got kind of because you said if he was going to run, you weren't going to run, right? Correct. And then the filing deadline passed, and he hadn't withdrawn. So then, uh, he withdrew before the filing deadline. Did he? No, I, th- I thought it was afterwards. I think he waited because 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 I think he withdrew fairly late, but he withdrew before the filing deadline. Or no, you're right. He he withdrew like the day after. There was like a two day period. It, yeah, there was, was like, like a, right after. But but at that point, um, Elias Rojas and Cliff Grow had, had also filed. So then it became kind of a four way potentially if if. Yeah. But then anyway, so he got out, and then you had the primary, and um, I love the video we did. Did, did you like that? Uh, yeah, it was a great job. Kale did a good job. Very high energy. <laughs> it was. We walked around the parking lot several we, times. Well, we had the drone. You know, we had the whole the whole picture. So you, it was your first campaign, right? Yep. And what do you, I mean, how did – obviously you won. What, I mean, was it just a lot of work? Was it door-to-door? Was it, like, less Garrett? Was it – I mean – a lot of door to door. I mean, that neighborhood, everyone knows each other. Um, very sophisticated, highly educated district. Um, so people really know the issues and they expect to know their representative. And I, I enjoyed meeting a bunch of people who I hadn't met before. Um, of course, knew a lot of people in the neighborhood. So, I mean, if there's one place that you're really going to enjoy knocking on, you know, 4,000, 5,000 doors, I think downtown Anchorage, Fairview, uh, Government Hill is probably a good place to knock on that many doors. Take a little lunch break at the Park Strip? Or with my daughter, yeah. yeah. So you're originally, um, is it from Texas? Virginia. Virginia, oh, okay. So you have the, the little draw. So when you were going door to door, did people ever say, hey, where are you from? 
Uh, no, that wasn't really an issue in the primary. And then you were working, um, do you still work for the, the laborers or was that? Yep. I still work for the laborers, local 341. So you have kind of a labor, and then you worked for the Walker administration too, didn't you? Yep. In the department of labor. So you're a labor guy. I strongly support unions. I grew up in a state with very weak unions and saw that many more people live in poverty. Construction workers live in poverty. You don't have the kind of institutional support for um, policies that are just good for working people. And I think actually we saw that yesterday when the administration um, announced it's canceling the phase two permanent privatization of API. And I think there were multiple factors that led to that. Certainly one of them was good oversight by the House. But a key factor was a lawsuit that ASEA filed. And, you know, ASEA represents caregivers. That's the Alaska State Employees Alaska State Employees Association, um, I think Local 52. Um, So, you know, ASEA, in theory, really just represents its employees. But I think by bringing this lawsuit, this lawsuit was a key step to protect patient safety. And I think that just kind of showed how important unions are kind of to protect the public interest broadly. Because so, who else would have brought that lawsuit? So I, yeah, I saw the uh, decision, and I don't know the details, but I assume the lawsuit probably had a lot to do with it. Is that is that that's kind of the conventional? It, it sure seems like that. Although Adam Crum, uh, the commissioner, made an interesting comment that uh, they had kind of made this decision to cancel Phase Two permanent um, privatization two weeks ago, which I think was just before the lawsuit got filed. Were they anticipating the lawsuit? Did they make that decision following the House hearing? where we revealed some really troubling um, information about the department failing to disclose information to the chief procurement officer. You know, what was the combination of factors that led Uh to that decision? I think we still don't know that, but certainly um, Alaska State Employees Association being involved and I think oversight from the legislature both were important. I think it's probably a fair assumption. Yeah, I think there's probably going to be a lot more to come with that. Yeah, and we got to keep bird-dogging it because, you know— I'm glad that they pulled back from sole source permanent privatization, but we still need good management of the institution. And at the end of the day, we got to resource it. Um, so there's adequate staffing. And, you know, that really has been a key factor in some of these safety issues where there just haven't been adequate staff and mm-hmm. then really terrible things happen. So let's go back to the, uh, actually, let's go way back. Why did you move to Alaska? I don't even know that. Uh, my wife and I are outdoors people and we wanted to live here. So, oh yeah. You, you used to write for the uh, press, right? Like, Yep. stuff, and, and I'll probably go back to doing that after the skiing, session. Right? Outdoor articles, yep. So um, you won the primary, and then you had a general, but the district very, very progressive district. So right, um, you had worked in politics, so you weren't like new to the pro- process. But was it different? All of a sudden, now you're with a group of people, and there was a whole several months of not no organization. Was that kind of how was that? Those three or four months. I think if you just read the newspaper. Um, and, and maybe if you if you follow the blogs, you kind of pick up on this. But actually, people work together really well, you know, across caucus lines, across party lines. So, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty before we were organized. But I think most people in the Capitol really like working with each other, even if you come from a different party or a different caucus. Yeah, no, being here, it's interesting how you see people who – I've always said it's kind of weird how folks who will try to get somebody defeated, like it's only kind of place politics or industry where – you try so hard to get someone fired from their job, but then they, you know, they don't. And then you work together. Then you work together. And it's yeah. like, hey, how are you, how's it going? And I think that's important. I mean, yeah, elections determine who's here. And then I think when the election's over, it's time to work together. So you guys had the, you guys came to Juno. It was about a month of not 
organizing. Um, what, I mean, did you ever think it was going to go the other way, or were you, was it just a lot of I, just uncertainty? I didn't, I didn't know it was going to happen. So you guys organized, and then you became, as a freshman, you became chair of the State Affairs Committee. Well, co-chair with Jonathan Christ Thompson co-chair, from so SICA. Two of you guys. Yep. And I, I like the co-chair structure. We have co-chairs in a lot of committees, and I, I think it works really well. You bring diverse perspectives from different parts of the state in a lot of cases. So talk a little bit about the State Affairs Committee. I mean, that, that's kind of a broad term. What, is, what do you guys, yeah, what do, you guys got, do? It's got very broad jurisdiction, so any proposal to change the Constitution is going to come before the State Affairs Committee. A lot of proposals on criminal justice issues are going to come before the State Affairs Committee. And really, when you look at what we've done this session, most of our time, the plurality of our time at least, has been spent on criminal justice proposals. Everything from what's the right sentencing and penalties um, to reentry to trying to tra- tackle the drug problem to um, addressing uh, sexual assault and domestic violence. So I think that's obviously really important work, and it's a privilege to get to work on it. Um, because state affairs deals with the executive branch and has oversight over the governor um, and a number of departments, including Department of Administration, Department of Public Safety. Uh, we had a bunch of confirmation hearings. We also had confirmation hearings um, and that in labor and commerce for a number of the other, um, I guess, the ones that have gotten less press attention, boards and commissions, appointees. I know you've reported on some of those. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What was the, yeah, very uh, broad jurisdiction. Let's talk about a few of those. Let's <laughs> talk real quick about the uh, what Gabrielle, Representative Ledoux, described as, quote, the most bizarre hearing I've ever attended. Yeah, and that one was in uh, Labor and Commerce. That was Michael Tavlero, real estate commission appointee. Um, who's now leading uh, Eagle Exit. Yeah. Eagle so River Chugiak leaving the... Based on his previous record, I assume now that Eagle Exit will not be successful. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the hearing with Michael Tavlera was, as Representative Ledoux said, bizarre. He, <laughs> I didn't, he didn't seem to know what he was getting appointed to. Um, it wasn't clear how much industry experience he actually had. He had a 30-year gap on his resume that he was <laughs> reticent to explain. And he also had these bizarre um, tweets. tweets that I think can only be described as supporting genocide, which I don't support. What was it, what was so, it about the Muslim? It was about... We should, we have to like. Do you remember what it was? It was it was a retweet. Right? Of uh, yeah, he was right calling wing. for extermination of you know a religion that has over a billion adherents, which is just the, the, the best part. The best part about the hearing was his his Filipino virtual assistant. <laughs> right. He first claimed, "Oh, these tweets were made by a Filipino virtual assistant," and then he said, "No, I wrote them myself." Or, "No, at least the Filipino virtual assistant did not write them. Whether I wrote them myself or not, I'm not sure." But he well, was all he was also. It was weird because of this Filipino connection. He was also praising Duterte, the president, who's basically this guy's admitted to like right. going out and doing like vigilante. If we had unlimited time, it would be interesting to know why he's so fascinated in the city of Mindanao in the Philippines. <laughs> but I think now we can just leave that for another day because he has not been confirmed to anything. So that, that one was one of the more, yeah, no, I, I didn't watch it, but I got maybe, you know, people text me about stuff and I, I got like, I'm not even getting like 20 text messages from people saying, you need to watch this. Just sit down, have a beer and watch. And well, that's what I did. And it's so bizarre, but I mean, as, as my colleague Sarah Rasmussen pointed out on the house floor, I mean, the real estate commission actually does do important work on real estate licenses, which is a pretty significant occupation in the state of Alaska. And you really don't want just totally incompetent people on a commission like that. So I'm glad that we rejected it. What was the other one? There was the email that he sent. Oh, he sent this bizarre, (laughs) incoherent email to all state legislators accusing, well, 
It was, it was like, unclear why he was accusing him. It was like the cesspool of, of Juno or yeah. the dark cave cesspool of Juno. Which was ironic since he wrote that after being appointed by the governor who does have a house and an office here in Juno. So it was unclear if he was indicting I, I, the governor in that, but what, whatever. I think Jesse Kiel's response, Senator Kiel's response was the best. And then he copied all. And then, and then he made some <laughs> weird thing about the fox and the... After writing an incoherent email and receiving a very polite and coherent response from Senator Keel, Michael Tavlero wrote back with another incoherent email <laughs> to all legislators. <laughs> Anyways, that was that's the uh, that's the levity of the, for this podcast. It was bizarre. So you, the other one you had was um, after the Jonathan Quick situation where he resigned. Right. Uh, Kelly Chewbacca was appointed, and who, by all accounts, when she was appointed, very intelligent, had a very long career in D.C., and looked to be kind of perfect you know candidate um but then at one of the hearings she kind of went after you in a very bizarre and kind of un- you had no idea about her i don't think anybody did yeah that was that room. was a, a big surprise um i'd asked her about her views on lgbtq equality and whether she could set aside her personal views which are um de- not in favor of equality and definitely outside the mainstream for alaskans where we do respect you know people of from a variety of backgrounds. So I did just ask her, could she set her set her personal views to be a good manager? Um, so she, was, she had written some, some, some stuff over, over the years that have, that was very um, clear about her feelings. Right. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like you're making it up. I mean, it was right. There. It was well-documented. Um, you wouldn't want someone bringing those views into the workplace as a manager of the department that oversees state employees, state employee contracts, human relations, you know, that's that's a really important issue to look at. And she had gotten asked about these issues in the Senate. And I think maybe it was the accumulation of getting asked about it in several different venues where she felt like, you know, maybe people were giving her too hard a time about it. Of course, I didn't know that senators had asked these questions that many times. I had heard that they had asked some questions. Um, so I think maybe it was just an issue of, you know, I was in the she room. felt like it built up. And, you know, from my perspective, we were having a hearing with her for the first time. And I just wanted to get her answers on the record. And yeah, I was I was in the room. It was um, <clears throat> it was uncomfortable for, I think, everybody in the room. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was strange. I'm you know, I hope that she does a good job and look forward to working with her. And I don't I don't see any point in holding a grudge about any of that. And then another situation that um, with the commissioner was um Amanda Price for DPS and, and that committee, you guys looked at that pretty in depth. I mean, you had several hearings and it was, um, she was confirmed recently, but she was the closest confirmation vote of all the appointees. I think 34 votes yep. she got. Yeah, T- tied with Crum actually is the closest. I think um, Crum already got 35. Oh, did he? Okay. I think it was one, yeah, one more. Um, but like most of the appointees were, you know, 59, 58. I mean, most right. of them were, were unanimous or almost unanimous. Right. Yeah, and we had multiple hearings with Amanda Price, partly at the request of other committee members, including Republican members of the minority. So uh, I, some people, I think, wanted to make it seem like I had a personal beef with Amanda Price, which I don't. But, you know, we, if a committee member wants to have more hearings, and then I think the co-chairman have honored those requests. Well, I mean, the whole process involves the legislature <laughs> vetting and confirming these people, yeah, and, and that's part of it. Right. So to me, our goal, you know, our job was to vet the candidates and whatever decision legislators make at the end of the day, you know, if we've done a good job vetting them and having all the information out in the public, then then that's the important thing. And people can make an informed decision. So what I think your- we should never do is 
fail to vet people and have people making an uninformed decision. We so wouldn't have done our job at that you're, point. You're a freshman. This is your first term. You've been involved in, you know, I'd say it's several kind of higher profile um, issues or situations. I mean, did you expect that when you got elected? Did you think, oh, I'm going to be kind of vetting these people who are going to be running departments and I'm going to be in the newspaper? Or did you, I mean, what was your expectation when you got elected? Uh, I think it's hard to predict all the circumstances in which you're going to find yourself. It's certainly unpredictable with the majority and minority. Are you even going to be a chairman of anything? Are you going to be in the majority? Are you going to be in the minority? Uh, my goal coming in was just to uh, build strong relationships with people and try to work together, even with philosophical differences. And that's still my goal. So no, I didn't. I didn't anticipate, you know, these unexpected and strange confirmation hearings. Um, I didn't expect all the individual issues that might come up in the committee. Um, I didn't guess that I would co-chair the State Affairs Committee. It's always a different day here in the Capitol, huh? It's always uh, yeah, it's unpredictable. So you just try to you know make the most out of each day, and you all know what's going to come tomorrow. So you mentioned crime earlier, and the governor had a press conference yesterday, and with Amanda Price, Commissioner of Public Safety, and Kevin Clarkson, the Attorney General. Did you see that? I didn't see it. I heard about it, and my understanding is he basically said he hopes the legislature passes the crime bill. He essentially said if you know if they don't pass the crime bills, we're going to have a problem, and. Um, it didn't. He basically, this has been rumor for a while, right. but there's going to be a special session, probably in Wasilla, which looking real forward to that. <laughs> but it's pretty pretty expensive to hold a special session in Wasilla. Interestingly, it's I cheap, think it's cheaper to do it here in Juneau. Yeah, I think it's expensive to do it, to do it anywhere. But it is, yeah, million bucks, no matter how you cut it, but hundreds of thousands of dollars more um, outside of Juneau. I mean, I don't want to have a, a special session at all because I want to get back to my family and you know my my normal outside the legislature job. But um, it's certainly my hope that we do pass some crime bills out of the legislature. We've, like I said, we've passed a lot of crime bills out of the State Affairs Committee. Um, I know that the Judiciary Committee has been working on a lot of crime bills, and I hope there's consensus on some positive things that we can do in terms of uh, tougher penalties, better reentry programs, and recognize how important treatment and diversionary programs are in all of this. Because, you know, if we're not dealing with the issue of having addicts just caught in a cycle of incarceration we're not really fixing well, the problem I, I just put out something last night on facebook and twitter I, I said you know we can pass all the crime laws we want and we do pass a lot of crime laws but without proper police and prosecution right parole probation and then rehabilitation and resources i mean you're not you could you could have every law in the book but if you don't have That's, the enforcement and then the follow-up um it, it doesn't matter exactly it's really easy to pass a law extending sentences but Guess what? If Anchorage doesn't have enough cops, you don't arrest the person in the first place. If you don't have enough prosecutors, you don't put them behind bars. If you don't have enough staff doing reentry programs, they're going to recommit crimes after they've been released. So those are the harder decisions. You know, we debated on the House floor. The House did add some prosecutors in the budget, which I thought was really important. Um, we didn't add that many prosecutors. We're still down dozens of prosecutors relative to five years ago. And we need to boost the prosecutor workforce. And by the way, when you boost the prosecutor workforce, you got to boost the public defender workforce because it's not helping anyone if we're putting innocent people behind bars because they have inadequate legal counsel. So you're right. The resources are the harder part. I mean, and it seems like Representative Clayman, who chairs the Judiciary Committee, he gave a quote in the paper, and I think it was ADN. He said, um, you know, I think Dunleavy, Governor Dunleavy, wants four of these bills passed. And uh, Clayman, Representative Clayman said, well, we're looking at these bills, but, you know, this whole place is about compromise. And he's, he's saying four or not, you know, four or nothing. And I think it, seems like it could be coming to a 
situation where, you know, like much like Walker and the legislature, yeah. there's a very kind of animosity between the executive branch and the legislative branch. Well, and the other thing to recognize is I guess, the governor's introduced some crime bills, but so have a lot of representatives. Um, and we've heard both in the State Affairs Committee, we've heard both governor's crime bills and bills from a bunch of representatives. And to me, the question is just how do we pass some meaningful crime legislation that's going to make a difference in people's communities? You know, it typically in the legislative process, the exact bill that gets introduced is not the bill that passes. I mean, that almost never happens. Ever, yeah, it's, unless Do, it's some kind of weird resolution. It doesn't happen. The question is, are you doing something meaningful um, that comprehensively addresses crime? And I certainly hope we do. So the other issue, obviously, is the budget and the permanent fund. You, The House passed the budget last week, the operating budget, and now the Senate's looking at that. So I think most folks are kind of assuming this is going to go till day 120 or 121 which is mid-may right is that kind of what, what do you think and, and you know where do you see things going for the with the budget and the permanent fund dividend uh <coughs> well i'm definitely not an oracle and i don't know exactly when we're going to finish but i hope i'm, we looking, finish for by a, I'm looking for a date <laughs> and i'm looking for an actually specific All right, time may 14th 3 p.m okay uh, ooh, log it folks <laughs> if that happens people are going to say who is that guy it's very weird May 14th, 3 p.m. I think whatever day it's going to be, it's going to be like 3 a.m. <laughs> it's probably more likely. Have you seen those in the past where they have their like last minute deals and it goes till two or three and everybody's just like, and the, they're just like so pissed. They want to go to sleep. Yeah, there's a strategy that people start getting one, one to get out of there. Fine, I'll do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with the budget, I mean, what, what do you think about the House's budget? I mean, my concern with this whole budget process is we're finally emerging from a, a really long recession in the state of Alaska. Um, we're losing population. Very troubling. Two years in a row. Yeah. Um, we've never had this long of a recession where we've had this sustained of stagnant population. The 80s recession was quick, um, and the state turned around after that. You know, I don't want to get trapped in a situation where we just have steadily losing population and jobs every year. So when I saw the governor's budget proposal, I was very concerned that it would kill this very fragile economic recovery that we're finally in. I mean, we are just barely crawling out of this recession. And I want to get out of this recession, job growth, and get some population growth back in the state. And the governor's budget, by all independent estimates, would have taken us in the opposite direction and brought us back in a double-dip recession by eliminating. There were different estimates out there, but as much as sixteen or 20,000 jobs. That is a lot of jobs. And pose just very real risks to housing markets. Um, you know, when you have housing markets go down, you can't fund basic public services like cops. So the economy directly relates to public safety. Um, anyway, the governor's budget proposal raised all kinds of concerns, not not just with me, but with economists, with local governments that have to fund the police largely, uh, along with the state. So I was very pleased that the House budget, I think, should, if it ultimately becomes law, avoid those devastating negative economic consequences and avoid the negative econo- or the negative consequences on public safety that were inherent to the governor's budget. Because, you know, the governor has said that his budget proposal <laughs> was a balanced budget with cuts. And, of course, that's, eh, for lack of a better term, total BS. It wasn't. Well, it even, was a call shift onto local government. Yeah, even which, Senator Machicki pointed that out when I did a podcast. He goes, you know, you can cut so much and then a bunch of it results. Re- relies on taking money from the North Borough, Fairbanks, Valdez, you know. And jacking up and property taxes on every other community fish, that pays them. Fisheries, landing taxes. Yeah. And 
huge cost shift. And, you know, a lot of like Anchorage has a tax cap. So guess what? The real world impact of that is both potentially higher taxes, but also just fewer services, fewer cops well, on the street. And there's also the um, school bond debt reimbursement. Right. Which I think you guys put, the House put half that back because they, they House the committee, the committee phased it out. That. Right? Yep. The Senate, my understanding is the current Senate version just does not shift that cost onto local governments. I totally support not shifting that cost back onto local governments. A very appropriate thing for the state to do. I think, you know, going forward, it's something you could, you know, for new bonds, hey, this is probably not going to be something we can rely on, but but to, to cut it from on bonds that have already been voted on and the agreement's been made, I think sends a pretty bad, you know, dangerous message. Yeah, I think you, the state should be a good, reliable partner with local governments. So anyway, I think in summary, the House budget um, makes the deepest operating cuts I think we've ever made. Tammy Wilson said, you know, these are the deepest cuts she's seen. Um, I think it was two hundred million. Is that larger than that? Um, yeah. And you know, the, in terms of an operating budget, those are very significant cuts. The difference is they were much more tailored than the Dunleavy proposal. So I think if the House budget ended up becoming law or something uh, somewhere in between the House and Senate budget. I'm fairly optimistic we would continue to climb out of this recession. And that, to me, is the most important thing. We need to get job growth back, and we need to protect public safety, and we need to protect institutions like schools that are essential to job growth. Because, you know, when we think about this issue of population loss, how are you going to get families to move here and stay here when there are 40 kids per classroom, which is what Mike Dunleavy proposed? No professional family is going to move here and stay here when they're looking at sending their kid Mm -hmm. to a school with 40 kids per classroom. I'm sorry, that's terrible for the economy. So what do you think about the dividend? I mean, like, where are you on? Some, the governor wants three thousand plus, I guess, plus another thousand for the repayment, and right. The, everybody else seems well. Most people seem to be saying, "Look, we can't afford that. We have to have a more reasonable dividend." Yeah, I. My position has always been that we should pay the largest dividend that we possibly can that preserves the permanent fund itself, because I think it's important to remember that permanent fund is earning north of eight percent every year. So the governor, by proposing very large PFDs. What he's actually proposing is really drawing down part of the permanent fund itself. And that means we're not earning as much money on interest next year, the year after that, the year after that. Those losses compound over time. So <laughs> the way I look at it is we're trust funders. We Alaskans all have a trust fund. And you know I've got a 17-month-old daughter. And I want my daughter to get as much wealth from the permanent fund and the permanent fund dividend as she possibly can. But does it make sense to destroy our school system in the process? Does it make sense to drain that fund rapidly so that she can get larger checks now, but no checks after she's eight, nine, ten years old? No, that's just that's just poor financial management, plain and simple. We need to protect the permanent fund, benefit from all the interest that it earns, and make sure that we maintain basic public services like cops and teachers that are essential for a healthy. Economy. I mean, that seems to be the conventional wisdom with most people. Is you know they want a dividend. Nobody's saying don't do a dividend. Maybe a few people, but. Um, it's do the best we can do at the same time, not, you know, the expense of state services and, right. you know, future dividends. And I got to point out, I mean, it's a false choice to say you can only have a dividend or good schools. That's never been true in Alaska's history, and it's not true now. So I got to say something else. Um, I think a big part of this building success is staff. And you got some pretty cool staff. I have great staff. They're, they're pretty awesome. Yep. So that's probably a big help, huh? One yeah. sitting here. Hi. Thanks, Grace. Thanks, Grace. <laughs> She's really awesome. And Logan. And, yeah, Logan, Grace, and Tristan are my staff. I think 
most of my constituents who deal with my office have worked with them and yeah, they're great. So you have three staff, whereas some people in the minority, you know, or, or, who aren't, who aren't chair, chairs of committees only have maybe one or two. So yeah, I think the levels are majority members have two full-time one session staff and minority members have one full-time one session staff. And you have as a chair, you get an extra, is that uh, co-chair? Not as a, not as a co-chair, you know, like finance, um, co-chairs have more staff and the, the whole idea of it, when you're in the majority, you have more staff is because the majority um, organize the committee hearings, and there actually is a lot of work that goes into organizing those hearings, doing all the background work. Um, so you know, great, you know, Grace does a lot of that for state affairs, and it actually makes some sense to have the staff to so the committees can do their job. So it's been it's been what three months? So over three months, I guess. Did yeah. You know what's been your what's your big maybe takeaway or your your biggest like experience where you were like whoa this is I'm, this is real i'm here this is this is happening um if something that stands out i guess my biggest takeaway a little different from that is we received this apocalyptic budget proposal from dunleavy that economists were saying would destroy up to twenty thousand jobs but what the legislature is actually doing is passing a very responsible budget and we've worked across party lines to do that we worked across caucus lines and I mean, yeah. A lot of Alaskans were really scared, and I think are really scared, of the administration's budget proposals. But I think the good news is the legislature is actually working together to do something responsible. And, you know, I hope at the end of the day um, the governor recognizes um, that actually we can have a healthy dividend and also have a strong economy. Yeah, I think it's, it's almost ironic that the House couldn't organize for a month. And the day after Governor Dunleavy's budget came out, the House organized. And, and I, I mean, I think it's no secret it was directly around that budget that kind of got the, it's kind of funny how that. Sure. Plenty of people, I think from a lot of different perspectives, recognized how devastating that budget would have been. So when the legis- when the session's over, whenever that is, you're going to go back. Are you still working with the laborers now or are you kind of on a break until you're done with? Uh, I didn't do any of my private sector work um, for the first three plus months of session. I'm just going to get back into it a little bit here and there um start working remotely for a couple hours but won't, do, won't really be able to do much till i get back in anchorage do you guys are you guys busier in the summer or is it doesn't really matter it's kind of always well the same. It, it, so for my private sector job yeah labor's you know busier in the summer construction we did the, we did the interview out there outside of your office yep nice grassy knoll out there i like that <laughs> I was working there. I'd always be on the having a little picnic. Yeah, laborers are great union. You know, laborers were organized a hundred years ago, basically to represent all the people. At that time it was largely Irishmen and Chinese people who didn't have a union to fight mm-hmm. for them. And uh, it's a so it's a neat union that's brought up wages and and working standards for people who otherwise were kind of ignored. I'm a big supporter of the laborers, but I got to be honest, the laborers nine forty two out of Fairbanks they they bought an ad on the website. So I, I got and, and they gave me a hoodie. So I got. I mean, if you got three forty one wants to get. Get on board, you know. We're more than happy to take your ad. Well, Jeff, I'm not. I'm not going to mix legislative and laborers' requests, <laughs> much less for advertising purposes. That's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have to worry. Yeah, it's true. Good. Good call. The ethics bill is being discussed as we speak. So, <laughs> our representative fields has been a great podcast. I appreciate you sitting down with me. Um, like I said, love the bolo tie. Wish we wish we had a video version of this because it's is it a polar bear. Uh, this is, this is a grizzly bear, actually. Grizzly bear, yeah. You've, you've had, what was the other one you had? It was a whale. whale. Yep. How many do you have? Two. Just two? Yep. I have one, too. I don't wear it very often, but maybe I'll start. Yeah. Maybe I'll start. It's a south southwestern motif. Cool. New Mexico. But anyways, thanks a lot for 
Peter, I know you're a busy guy, and hopefully we'll do one of these in the future. And good luck with um, everything that's going to be happening in the next month. Sounds good. Thanks, Jeff. All right, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast with me, get a hold of me, and we'll, we'll make it happen. Thanks. Landline.